Thank you, everybody, for being here. Yeah, that's how it feels. Um, yeah, okay. Almost feels like I haven't been here in a while. It's like one week of having Rob preach, and he did a fantastic job. It's only two weeks since the last time I came up here, and it just feels like I've been on a long, long vacation. <clears throat> it was kind of interesting trying to pray and read and try and figure out what, what was that theme, where were we going, and there's a lot of times that like the recap takes longer than the actual preach, which may actually happen again today. But like the theme is making disciples, and I just feel God has kind of pushed that kind of what is the vision of this church? What is our mission? What are we doing? And I just really got that these phrases, honor God, spread the gospel, and make disciples. And I love how simple it is. I love how God just... Let me try and make, keep this in order here. When we talked about honoring God... And first and foremost, recognizing his bigness. It just became quite overwhelming to me to think of this eternal mind, this eternal nature, and all these different either visions and then just videos and just little excerpts or some, I know this is kind of philosophy oriented, but it talks about a chair is not built. I, I love this. A chair is not built when the chair is physically coming together, when we see the wood and the hammer and the nails. The chair was starting to be built when the designer had the idea. Or maybe a piece of art didn't really take place when the pen or the, uh, the ink or the paint went to canvas. The art started to come together when the artist started to having the idea of what it was going to look like. And I can think it just kind of really brought to light an image of the eternal nature of God. And there's all kinds of artistry, which I can th be, think, I believe, can be a little bit untheological at times and this and that. When we try and turn God into something we can conceptualize. But I just, I don't think that's where we need to be. Where we need to be is trying to keep him outside of the box that is our mind. Does that make sense? Because he's bigger than that. I imagine the nothingness of space. But at the same time, there was no space. Or outside of matter and outside of time, just the nature of who he was. If he created space and time and matter, then he had to exist outside of those things. How, what was here before time? I, I can't figure that out. You can, let me know. What was here before matter or space or anything? What is absolute nothingness? But there he was. There was God. And he spoke and it came into being. And he's so big and I really don't want to bring him down into this imagery of an old man with a long gray beard and all that stuff. I don't want him to be in that place. I want him to be where he belongs. Eternal, huge, glorified, beyond my capability to understand. Our mission is to honor God, spread the gospel of Jesus and make disciples, to know him and make him known. I know it's kind of just a little phrase, you know, but that's the kind of things I think we need to do to have visions of what we're saying. That's how we communicate. That's how we, you know, create ideas in our head. But if we know him, if we're going to make him known, we really do have to know him. 
That should be our, our life's striving force is to seek who he is and what he's all about. So I just wrote this thing down and just kind of, we serve, the God we serve is unknowable due to his eternal nature. He's too big for us to truly know and the restrictions of our natural mind prevents us from truly knowing him. But he's God so he can make himself known. Yet he makes himself knowable. It kind of rolled into, and I just love this, is that God made a way to manifest himself in a manner that we could understand and see. Not too long ago, and I don't know why, but Peter stepping out of the boat has been a thing in my mind for quite some time. And in all, different messages, and still for that same event, uh, did he have faith if the boat was next to a, a, a dock and Jesus said, step out of the boat, and he stepped out, it wouldn't be a very impressive story, right? And that was like, wow, that's amazing. What a, what a story just out of that little idea of what could have been, yet the boat was out in the lake, or in the sea, out at sea, a huge lake. Um, and then it's like, that was such a description of Peter having to step out in faith, right? And then I just re- truly feel that God kind of put that vision in my head and, and started changing the narrative that it wasn't blind, foolish, ridiculous faith. There was Jesus standing there. Again, I know I've repeated this a couple times, and I just love how God puts the manifestation of who he is in front of us so we can grasp it in some ways, and then it's believable, Right? So Peter was in the boat and he looked out and Jesus was standing on the water. Again, showing that he, was, he didn't wake up and say, hey guys, I have this stirring in my heart that Jesus is calling me to step out of this boat. I think that would have resulted in complunk. Not a good story. But Jesus was standing there. He showed himself. He revealed himself. He revealed his physical power. He said, in a way he said, and I'm going to capitalize on this a little bit later, They knew he was God, kind of, but they were having a hard time wrestling with that idea. So Jesus showed his deity to his followers so that they could see it with their physical eyes and change their minds about what they believed and didn't believe. So he didn't step out in this blind, ridiculous faith. He stepped out in faith because Jesus revealed his power and his deity and his capability to do what he said he was going to do. And Peter was called to come out of the boat. So Peter had to have faith in Jesus. He also had to have faith in his calling, that it was real. And as we, I think we were singing today, or talking today, just about keeping your eyes on Jesus in the midst of the storm, right? That's the whole, another part of this story, where he did step out of the boat in faith in who he saw, who he believed, what he was capable of doing. He stepped out in faith in his calling through the name of Jesus Christ. And then even after he'd stepped out and experienced this amazing miracle of walking on the physical surface of the water, which defies all of his understanding, even in the midst of that, when the storm came, he took his eyes off Jesus and started to sink. Which is so relevant for us. So relevant, I'll tell you right now, for me. That I can be in this place with him going, I'm calm, I'm confident, I'm relaxed, I'm happy, I'm joyful, I'm loving people and this and that, and I run into the same thing you all do when the news is on or this next thing's happening or whatever, and I have moments when I keep my eyes on Jesus and hallelujah and it's great, (laughs) and I have other moments. 
where I take my eyes off Jesus and I shake my fist and I get frustrated and I sink and I sink and I sink. God reveals himself and makes himself knowable in physical ways. And it kind of opened up the idea of the Trinity. This is kind of a newer revelation. I think I even touched on it two weeks ago just because it was forming. But I love how God speaks. And I've always kind of been like, I trust you and I believe you. That's why when we seek these truths and we become more and more mature in Christ, we can learn these deep, wild, hard theological concepts. But at the same time, when it gets too squirrely, we can run right back to the name of Jesus. So for me, the Holy Trinity was always something to really grasp onto and be like, I don't understand how one is three and three is one, right? I, I have a hard time with that or had a hard time with that, but I could always just run back to Jesus and say, but I trust and believe that you are a good God, that your promises are true, and you'll reveal this in your time. Well, I can tell you, I feel it's coming. <laughs> and honestly, I thought I would go to heaven and have to ask him physically at that point, but it's coming. Because I can kind of see... God the Father, this is this eternal spirit. We've got to get out of that idea that it's a central being, like a picture of, again, an old guy with a long beard guiding and directing things. He wasn't that. He was something above and beyond. I'm thinking of, and I, that's why I went to that theological thing, is, is before anything created, there was a mind with a will and with power outside of anything we know that had to have the idea of what this is going to look like. And the power to make it so. That's not some physical dude. Again, we're created in his image, and maybe that's the next question later is, is there any kind of form or function, and what kind of image are we talking about? But I don't think it was material in nature. I just think we were created in his image from that spiritual concept, that spiritual point of view. Like, I don't want to get too, I'm going to get myself all backwards in this. Let me just back up. God the Father. And when I think God the Father, that's that eternal being that is outside of being a sim- singular person. Just that eternal nature of God, that mind, that power, that ability, that will. Reveals himself in nature. Since what, in Romans chapter 1, verses 19 through 20, says, Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. There's a word for this and it's called, um, um, oh shoot, I just lost the name of it, something general revelation. And again, it goes back to that story I kind of heard on a video of a guy talking about you know, a young kid in Saudi Arabia or something like that, an Islamic nation or whatever, you know, who has not been indoctrinated or anything like that as he looks up in the sky. Or let's say when people say, um, oh, what about the people that are living in deepest, darkest jungle, desert, whatever, that are not um, connected to the outside world? Do they know God? And I would have to say yes. I would say that young person, And again, why would somebody in a physical nature even have the idea or an opinion or even have a consciousness of the possibility of a supernatural realm? And I believe that goes back to we all came from Adam and Eve. We all came from Noah and his family. 
So we all have that revelation inside of us to some certain degree. We are all created in the image of God. We are not just animals. Our life was breathed into us by the living God. There is a natural revelation to some degree that we would even ask these questions. That after Babel, the Tower of Babel, everybody spread out and everything got distorted and weird. But nobody forgot that God was there, that God was real, that God was manifesting and showing himself completely. They might have not been there, but the stories go on and on and on through the generations. So this indigenous peoples that are untouched by the rest of society have at some point in history been touched by God. And they can go out and they sit outside and look at the stars. And I don't know what a dog thinks when it looks up at the stars, but I don't think it thinks anything other than maybe snossages or something. But I think when a person looks at the stars or the ocean or the beauty of the Amazon or the beauty of the desert when the sun's coming up or going down and they have that stirring in their soul of God is good. Look what he did. That general revelation right there is enough to know about the creator. At least the basics. When we say his amazing character is shown, his creativity is shown, his power and his divine nature. When you look at at those layers and layers of galaxies and stars going up to who knows how far, that is big, that divine nature. And to me, I love studying even the smallness when we go down into that molecular level. I get blown away by that and think, man, the divine nature and the power of God to create this, to all come together into this order, you know, and this beauty that we have around us. In Psalm chapter 8, verses 3 through 4, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, What is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. I don't know if this is the right place for it, but it makes me think of the Old Testament. When God revealed himself with fire and visions, you know, I'll talk about that when I hit the Holy Spirit. That's coming soon. So that's, I believe, I believe, and this is kind of what's manifesting in my mind, is how the Trinity is rolled out. It, It is The Trinity is one God manifesting himself and showing him in ways that we can understand and see and feel. And that's because of his patience and his grace and his love. That without that, he could promise anything, but it's supernatural and spiritual. We can't see it or feel it, and it would be very easy for us to fall away. Yet these are all bridges that he says, look, this is who I am, and I am truly here. And there are things that we can physically grab onto with our finite temporal minds and 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 grasp i love science it's awesome to me but to me more and more and more as i grow in christ science points more and more and more to god and those that don't believe through science i think are just honestly just being rebellious and shaking their fists and refusing to believe what's clearly in front of them and jesus tells us what that's like god tells us that those will be blinded the unbelievers will be blinded and they won't see the things that are clearly in front of them until the Holy Spirit moves. That's a whole other sermon right there too, right? Without that ember, right? Remember that one? Without that ember, you're not going to see the truth. And that has to be a movement of the Holy Spirit. That's why, again, none can boast because it has to be the Holy Spirit that breathes us back to life. And all of a sudden, these things come to life. And they seem so relatable and relevant and easy to grasp, easier to grasp.
That's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Trinity. I saw this one diagram. It kind of makes sense. I'm still working through it. But it said, the Father is not the Son. The Son's not the Father. The Spirit's not the Son. The Spirit's not the Father. But they're all God. I don't know. Maybe that helps. Maybe it doesn't. But I know this. I believe that the Son is God. His deity is true. And he is another example of how God manifests himself and reveals himself to us so that we have a way to understand. Does that make sense? I remember this story a long time ago. I know I'm, again, repeating myself. But I thought it was just a a great example of a farmer and there was a big storm and he had a bunch of little, like, birds in his farm and he was trying to get them to go into the barn before the farm hit. But every time he went there to herd them, I don't know if you've ever herded chickens. I've never herded chickens. But I imagine you're trying to herd chickens and they're going around and they're pretty fast and they're flipping out and freaking out because they're scared of you, right? Well, the storm's coming. He's trying to get these birds to go into the barn so he can close it up and they can survive the storm. And all he could kept thinking is, oh, if I could become a bird for a moment, that they wouldn't be afraid of me and that they could understand the words of my mouth and see me showing them the way that they would follow me into the barn and I could close it up and save these birds' lives, you know? I don't know what the end of the story was. <laughs> but it was a good, to me, a good visual of God saying, how do I get these people to see me, to understand me, and have a desire to follow me? John chapter 14, verses 1 through 10, Jesus comforts his disciples. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know. I love Thomas sometimes. He just asks those questions that probably everybody else wanted to ask but was afraid to say. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. Excuse me. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. And Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. That just straight speaks to the deity of Jesus Christ. My understanding of the Trinity is never going to be complete, I don't think, but my understanding has come a lot closer just in the last few weeks just because of this type of thing, that we can see God the Father, formless. He's capable of anything. So for us to say, how does one thing turn into three things and three things are one things? Well, it's easy because if God is formless and timeless and limitless and powerful, then he's not bound by the same rules that we're bound by. It's so easy. I love how science has so many rules and laws and and assumptions. And quite frankly, some of them you can really poke a lot of holes in. But honestly, to believe that 
God spoke the universe into being and can do what he says he can do, and that supernatural things are possible, there's only one assumption you need to make, that God is who he says he is. That's only one. It's a pretty big one. But it is only one. And he's capable of doing what he says he can do. The Holy Spirit. I, when I went into the Holy Spirit and started studying that, it was that's a whole nother few sermons. So I'm going to keep this portion short for now and paraphrase some stuff. But just some of the de- descriptions of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> the life to a soul dead in sin. I equate the Holy Spirit to that God's power inside. Again, that imagery of the dead coal with no ember burning at all. There's no amount of blowing or friction or anything you could possibly do. But that breath of life, that glowing ember in the middle of that burnt up coal is the Holy Spirit that is dwelling inside us. That can be fanned to flame or grieved. The power of God temporarily came upon the prophets As we talk about the Holy Spirit, it really goes all the way back. The Spirit of God hovered over the waters. The power of God. When the prophet said, and the power of God or the Spirit of God came upon a prophet, it was this temporarily indwelling, temporary indwelling in a human body of the power of God to do things, to say things, to understand things. Samson had the spirit of God that would come upon him and he would slay hundreds of Philistines. I can't remember who it was. The spirit of God would come upon him and he would rip apart a lion. These are all things that we naturally could not do with our physical bodies, yet the spirit of God would indwell temporarily for a moment. Again, God revealing himself to us in a physical nature so that we could understand it and see it and believe it through the power of God indwelling inside us. That same spirit, right? Now that same spirit permanently resides in the believer of Jesus. He is our advocate. He advocates advocates on our behalf. But more importantly, I look at that and I go, there are times when I don't really know what to pray for. But thank God for Holy Spirit residing inside me that does know what to pray for that can take my prayers and turn them into righteous prayers. I pray all the time, Holy Spirit, help me to pray properly. And when I don't, from a wrong heart, from a wrong perspective, take over and change it. And he will, because it says, because uh, the Bible tells us so. He is the guarantor that we have been saved. The Holy Spirit brings conviction and repentance. And the Holy Spirit brings the evidence of a changed life and a new creation, again, through the fruit of the Holy Spirit. There's so much about the Holy Spirit that goes on and on and on. That was a lot of treasure trove of information that's probably going to come to you soon in the next few weeks. And just something kind of came into my mind is, if we know one, we know all three. And if we know all three, then we know one. As we read in the Bible, we see the things God has done in the Old Testament, how he revealed himself As we look into nature and we see the revelation of God, we know God through what we see. I love that we're not called, and again, we are called to faith, because there are things we're going to say, I don't understand this because I'm not capable, but I trust you and I believe you, and I believe that your promises are true and that you're capable and you've called us to this. 
just like Peter in the boat, right? So that level of faith has to be there. But God loves us so much that he doesn't call us to just react to emotions or react to things that we can't see. He demonstrates his power and his calling so that we can grasp a hold of that, which is so much easier, don't you think? <clears throat> kind of lost where I was. All right, there we go. John chapter 14, verse 26. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to do. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You are bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that is in you. But do this with gentleness and respect. And that should have been on the other side because we're rolling into making disciples. We're called to know him and make him known. So the first step for us is going to be knowing him. I can't make somebody known that I don't know. Simple, right? We're called to honor God and, may, and, and spread the gospel. And I won't go too much into it, but honoring God by recognizing who he is and giving them the due worship that he deserves, which is all of it. Spreading the gospel. And I really focus on that daily evangelism that takes place in your life. Your ministry is right before you by your peers, your co-workers, your families. And we do this by demonstrating the fruit of the Holy Spirit and looking for those opportunities to speak life. And then making disciples. I truly believe that that's why God has had this spiritual maturity message for this church. Is that if we're called to have people come in these doors, we're called to example well, bring them into salvation, and then we're called to bring them into maturity. And we're only going to be that, able to do that to the capability that we have, that level of maturity that we have. So we need to just keep striving in that and pushing in that. Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 through 20. 20, I know you've heard this before. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. A disciple is a student or a follower of a teacher or leader. We are called, called to go, again, with that daily evangelism, and who knows, you may be called to go somewhere and evangelize. But as of now, I believe we are called even on our daily basis to evangelize into the nations. And we are called to baptize as we lead those into salvation by the power of the Holy Spirit. To bring the newly saved into spiritual maturity by exampling, leading, and teaching. And again, teaching keeps getting touched on because we're not going to be able to teach if we're not students. <clears throat> Again, I kind of capitalized off us on gotquestions.org. I want to give due credit where it's due, or give credit where it's due. And I had no way to rephrase this. I think they phrased it really well. As Jesus once asked, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or rise and take up your bed and walk? Then he proved he had the ability to forgive sins, something we cannot see with our eyes, by healing the paralytic, something those around him could test with their eyes. Similarly, we are given the assurance that God's word is true 
when it discusses spiritual areas that we cannot test with our senses by showing itself true in those areas that we can test, such as historical accuracy, scientific accuracy, and prophetic accuracy. There are all kinds of other places where God manifests himself and shows himself true that we can extrapolate and say, if he was true and real here, then I believe he's true and real here where my senses cannot see what he's doing. I can believe that we've been saved because he said so, because he's shown himself so true in so many physical aspects of my life and our lives. And that brings confidence. And that's something we can grab a hold to. That's the physical manifestation of Jesus on the water. So I could see it and believe it. And if I can believe he did it, and if I believed he's calling me to it, then I believe I can walk on this water. Which, that doesn't make sense. That doesn't either, but at least I can see it and I can grab a hold of that. And then now it's not a blind faith issue. It's a, I believe he said he could, and he's showing me some amazing things through my physical eyes right now, so I can believe he can do those other things that I can't quantify. Oh, let me see, here we go. Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, Jesus answered, It is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. The calling in this, I believe, just to keep it very practical, is we need to be people that study the word of God. We need to be getting into the Bible. And, and I say this coming alongside me because I wrestle with this sometimes too. When I study the Bible a lot, I find myself really enjoying it and then wanting to do it all the time. But when I slug, slug off of the Bible, I find it very hard to get myself back there. It's weird. It's like surfing in a way or probably just about anything. When I surf a lot, I want to surf a lot. When I don't surf, I almost kind of start to forget how much I like surfing until I finally work my way back into it. And then I'm like, oh, yeah, this is great. This is awesome. Well, it's the same for me with reading the Bible. The more I read, the more I study, the more I enjoy it, and the more I want to be in it. But that moment when I fall away, that moment when I'm getting frustrated or distracted or busy with other things, and I take my eyes off Jesus, I start to sink, and it's that much harder to get back up. Does that make sense? If we're called to people that disciple people, bring people into discipleship, then we need to be disciples. And we just talked about what is a disciple. A disciple is a student or a follower of a teacher. So we need to be students. We need to be followers of a teacher so that we can be teachers that though, to those that are newly saved. Yeah? <clears throat> Second Timothy chapter 4, verses 1-5. through five. In the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an, of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. I'm just going to end here. To make disciples, we must be disciples. 
We must be hungry for the word. And we must be studious as we strive for a greater knowledge of Jesus Christ. Which benefits us so much anyway. And this striving and this work can almost sound negative in nature. But this striving and work, the more we do it, becomes easier and easier and really, quite frankly, more enjoyable and freeing. So I just want to encourage you in that as we move towards this, what is the mission specifically of South Coast Church? Honor God, spread the gospel, and let's be studious and disciplined and hungry for the word so that we can grow in our spiritual maturity and be beneficial to those that come through these doors that might need to be discipled and mentored and pastored and brought into fellowship. Amen? All right, let's stand and let's pray. Father God, we just love you. We just go back to the basics. You are worthy, Lord. You are beyond our understanding and our capability to understand. Yet you make yourself known because you love us. We see your glory in nature, Father God. We see intelligent design. We see amazing creativity. We see that there's no way that chaos, this order, could come from chaos. But there you were, speaking order into nothingness. And here we stand. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that you sent your Son that we could receive your word, that we could receive his instruction and his example, and then ultimately we could receive the finished work of the cross as he paid it all. We receive that, Lord. We keep our feet firmly planted on that truth, firmly planted on that foundation of salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ the one who is willing and capable, and the one who has called us. Lord, we receive your Holy Spirit, the power of God residing inside us, the life of God residing inside us. And we recognize that these are all manifestations of your character, manifestations of your power, manifestations of your calling. Lord, help us to be a people that are responsive and receptive to the urgings and promptings of the Holy Spirit. Lord, where we grieve the Holy Spirit, we ask for repentance right now. We are so sorry, Lord. We are so sorry, Lord, that we were incapable of giving it all most of the time. Lord, we were bought and paid for. Our bodies are not our own. As we walk around here, we are temples of the Spirit of God. Let us always be aware of that. Let us be, keep that like as a point of honor, but at the the same time a point of humbleness and humility. As we walk around with your Holy Spirit residing inside us, let us be weighed down by the privilege, but also the what do you call it? The, uh, responsibility that comes along with that, Lord. That we wouldn't hold it and hide it to ourselves. 
that as we read these words, you say, but you keep your head in all situations. Lord, we love you. We thank you, Lord. We thank you for saving us. Lord, now continue your work in us. We thank you for your words, author and perfecter of our faith. Lord, finish your work in us. That we would come to the place where we are fully in knowledge of Jesus Christ. That we're fully in line with the heart of God. When we pray wrong, we, we pray, Holy Spirit, correct us. Bring correction. So many people outside of the church that say, oh, i got to get right with God before I can come to church. Lord, let their hearts be changed that they would come to know you first and realize that, heck, we're still trying to get our hearts right with God. Lord, help us get our hearts right with you, that we would walk with you, that we would be aware of your presence, and that we would represent you well into this world that needs you so bad. We hold on to your promises as you called us to be in the world, but not of the world. That we would change the culture around us and not be smashed into the ground by the culture that's around us now. And that truly has to come from your power, your Holy Spirit residing within us. We love you, Lord. We praise your name. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We love you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you guys for being here. It was a good time, and uh, I'll see you next week. Have a wonderful week.